Today on Blue 58, the Packers traveled north of the border for a preseason game, and a day later we can say, well, that definitely happened. What, if anything, can we take away from that farce in the Great White North? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I don't use that word farce up top lightly because it really seems like you've got to have a lot go wrong for a game to truly, well, get to the point that we saw last night in, in Winnipeg. It was bad on just about every level, and I don't know if there's anything that you can really take away from it. We're going to try, because I think there are some lessons we can learn, but as a whole, my goodness, I don't know if it's possible to have a burn-the-tape game in preseason, but just it's hard to not just want to bin this one and move on. From start to finish, uh, this game just seems like it never should have happened. It was sloppy. Uh, It was played on a bad field. It was played on an 80-yard field. It was played in front of a stadium that was mostly empty. And boy, I just feel for for everybody in Canada who actually wanted to see something resembling football. I think there are a lot of educated football fans in Canada. They've got a whole league to themselves. A lot of them watch American football. The numbers reflect that both in, in traffic and downloads. For us, they're the number four country worldwide in terms of downloads to this podcast. Uh, the numbers on the Super Bowl reflect high viewership there every year. These people know what they're doing. And yet, and yet, we sent them that last night. I really feel for uh, some of our listeners in particular. We had one guy, I won't share his name, but he's been emailing back and forth with us for a couple months now. And uh, Since this possibility first, first was sort of floated of playing this preseason game, uh, in Canada. And he's not even from Winnipeg. He was going to have to fly into Winnipeg for this game, uh, get a hotel, buy the tickets, all that. Super excited. Was thrilled about it. Was thrilled about the opportunity. And that was the first thing I thought of last night when it seemed like things were going to start going south. And that's exactly what they did. Let's uh, not just take my word for it. Let's talk to somebody who was actually there. Mike uh, McIntyre for the Winnipeg Free Press wrote an excoriating piece. Uh, for the free press, free press there, titled No Fun League Flops at IG Field. Uh, subtitle Raiders Packers Preseason Tilt, a debacle of epic proportions. You should read the entire piece. You've got to sign up for an account. It's free, and it'll expire in 30 days, and you'll never read the Winnipeg Free Press again. But here's a, here's a chunk from the middle of the piece that I think reflects exactly how bad this was. Quote, sluggish sales had been a big story leading up to the game, with approximately half the stadium showing as available on the Ticketmaster site earlier this week thanks to grossly overpriced tickets that were running for north of $400 and represented a clear miscalculation of this market. Local sports fans were staying away in droves. But then a strange thing started happening, with many of the blue dots representing unsold seats on Ticketmaster suddenly vanishing. The promoter previously slashed prices for about 6,000 end zone seats after initially claiming there would be no such price reductions. And that angered many of the loyal fans who bought tickets when they first went on sale in June, only to discover they got suckered into paying about twice as much as others who were late to the party. Despite On Ice president, On Ice, by the way, is the promoter who put this whole thing on, uh, President John Graham's claim that the ticket agency would handle issues, I'm told many fans have been met with, sorry, final sale, no refunds, upon their repeated inquiries. On Ice painted themselves into a corner, by charging way too much out of the gate, then made a bad situation even worse. Speaking of Graham, he's pretty much gone into hiding throughout this process, including not responding to several messages I've sent him. Other media colleagues have expressed 
similar concerns. Then he goes on to talk about how this company that uh, that was working to set up the game with the NFL uh, made some serious problems, some serious trouble for a couple local media reporters. Uh, one guy even had his credentials stripped for the game. Uh, they were later reinstated after they reached out to the NFL. And the NFL is basically like, you can't really do that just because he's criticizing you. Although that sounds like a very NFL thing to do. Basically, it was a sham start to finish. This was uh, uh, NFL fans in Canada getting taken for a ride. This was the NFL failing to do its due diligence on the people it was working with, on the place it would be playing. The NFL basically said it's someone else's problem, and that is a very NFL thing to do. And it's just a shame that a bunch of listeners and fans and, and whatever in Canada got taken advantage of. Fortunately, uh, the entire stadium didn't fall down on top of somebody because there was a bunch of stuff that went wrong for the Packers, including some fairly significant injuries. So let's dive into talking about about the game itself, but not before we say one last time, shame on the NFL for letting this happen. I feel like what we're going to talk about today is more or less what we've been talking about for weeks now. Three big position groups that kind of have become the focal point of this training camp. Quarterback, wide receiver, and inside linebacker, and I think for good reason. There were not a lot of position battles up for debate elsewhere on the team. You could look at cornerback, you could look at safety um, as potential other sources of, of preseason debate. That's fair, I think, but most of those positions are fairly well settled, too. Like, look at cornerback, for example, with Josh Jackson back last night and Kevin King hopefully healthy for the start of the regular season. You've got your top five spots there when you group in Tony Brown all but accounted for. And it's really just going to be up to how many the Packer, how many corners the Packers decide to keep that will decide that particular battle. So not a real big competition there. Same sort of thing at safety. You've got Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos. Raven Green carrying over from last year. Now with Ibrahim Campbell back in the fold, there's a lot of spots accounted for there. Not so much at quarterback, receiver, and inside linebacker. So let's go one by one through there. Quarterbacks, we've got the change that I've been asking for here for a couple weeks. Tim Boyle finally gets the start, and it looked like it was not going to go so well from the very, very start. Uh, The first three drives or so were not great. He was really struggling throwing to his right, but he got rolling, and it looked pretty good. That's, I think, exactly what you would ask for from Tim Boyle. Probably the best single performance uh, either Boyle or Kaiser has had probably in each of these two two training camps they've been in Green Bay together. I don't know if this makes you feel good enough if you're the Packers to just go with one of the two. I still am inclined to, to really try to remake the position on the fly here, Although that's a really fraught proposition too. But again, if, if Aaron Rodgers goes down, I think that's kind of going to be it for the Packers anyway. So I'm not super worried about that. But Boyle does exactly what you want him to do and uh, and plays pretty well. Deshaun Kaiser comes in, not so much. Although he really benefited from the first real stretch of poor offensive line play we've seen in the preseason. Or he really did not benefit or suffered from it um, in the in this particular game. And things did not go so well for him. Um, I think the the large part is is broadly true about both of these players. Kaiser's highs can be higher than Boyle's, but he doesn't reach those highs as often as Boyle stays around his his relatively even keeled play. When Boyle is not good, he's just as bad as Kaiser's bad. Although he doesn't seem to have the same propensity to just throw the ball directly to the defense that Kaiser does. If you're deciding today, it's probably Boyle. 
Um, if you're still in the Kaiser camp, I'm not really going to argue too hard with you either. I'm not super in love with either of these guys, but I, I think it's it, it looks like Boyle right now. Again, what else do you want him to do? He, he's done everything that's been asked of him. He's played better than Kaiser did with the third stringers when he's been in there. There you go. He got his opportunity last night, and he really stepped up. Speaking of stepping up, oh boy, Trevor Davis steps up at wide receiver in a big way. Um, this kind of muddies the waters at wide receiver, although with the injury, injury to Equinemius St. Brown, I'm really not sure. We'll talk about all that in a second. First, Trevor Davis. The title of this podcast may give a, give it a little bit away. I think he's he's on the team. Um, if you've listened to the the episode that Gary and I did on our Patreon specific podcast, we talk about preseason heroes. Uh, our most recent episode, and uh, the one name I threw out there was Vic Soto, a guy who really lit things up for the Packers in the 2011 preseason. Really finished strong that preseason. The final. Week of, of that camp, he had an interception return for a touchdown, really big flash play, ended up making the team. He didn't really play at all in the year plus that he was with the Packers, but it was an exciting finish to his time in Green Bay. Here's Trevor Davis, uh, hasn't played in a preseason game yet this year, and then he shows up and plays very, very well on offense, as a returner, as a coverage guy on punts. Uh, he did everything that you asked Trevor Davis to do. So I kind of went through three th- three stages of thinking about Trevor Davis last night as I'm watching this game unfold. First, oh, absolutely, he's definitely in. Yep, the, this is the Trevor Davis we were waiting for. We gotta we gotta put him on the roster now. But then almost immediately on that, I was like, wait a second, hold on. Let's not be prisoners of the moment here. Let's step back and think of the picture as a whole. We've got to you know run this through the the, the caution filter. Really think about what we. What we're seeing here, how it plays with the roster as a whole, and I think that's good. But then I thought, what else do you want from him? He's been out for three weeks, two and a half weeks, uh, hasn't played in a preseason game yet, and uh, he shows up and, and shows out. He plays really, really well. What else do you want him to do? What else is there for Trevor Davis to do? He's exactly the Trevor Davis you were hoping to see. Are you going to penalize him for only doing it in one game? So I don't really know if you can hold it against him that he's only done it once so far because that's kind of been the the same story we've gotten with Trevor Davis. When he's been healthy, he's done done pretty okay and he's done done well in the preseason um even when he's been uh when he has been healthy, he hasn't always been healthy and that's that's been the real problem. Now, with the injury to Equinemius St. Brown, this puts the Packers in a bit easier of a position uh to get to the six wide receivers that I think they're going for. Sticking with that six wide receiver theory that we've kind of advanced throughout all of camp, I think there's four guys who are in right now. Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, Geronimo Allison, and Jake Kumaro. I don't think there's a lot of, of disagreement among people who cover the team and talk about the team and that, so I think you've got those four. Beyond that, you're probably picking two out of three between Darius Shepard, uh, Trevor Davis, and Alan Lazard. Davis played well last night. Shepard played well last night. Alan Lazard played well last night. So I don't know where you are at this point uh, in your decision-making process. If you want to go with youth, it's probably Shepard and Lazard. If you want to say Trevor Davis has been hurt every season he's been with the team and, uh, you know, we're just not going to count on him to get through a season healthy. I think that's understandable. But if you want to say Trevor Davis is a dynamo when he's healthy on special teams, we need him for his coverage abilities on punt and stuff like that. 
I think there's a case to be made there too. If you like Alan Lazard's size and Trevor Davis's speed and experience, and you think you can get Darius Shepard through to the practice squad, I think that's probably the case as well. There's also the outside possibility of a trade here. If you're selling high on Trevor Davis, is not now the time that you'd want to do that? Think back to early last season. The Packers were shopping Trevor Davis, looking for a partner. They ultimately didn't find one, and he ended up spending the entire season on the Packers. But um, he, this, it ended up – it was a thing that happened. They, they tried to trade him. If we are looking at trades – uh, this time of year would be the time when it's going to happen between the third and fourth preseason game. Looking at Brian Gutekunst's history, he made two trades about this time last year. Lindsey Pipkins went to Indianapolis for Antonio Morrison on the 26th of August, 2018. And Brett Hundley was traded just a couple days later, the 29th, to Seattle for a sixth round pick. If there's going to be a move that happens, it's probably going to be in the next week. And Trevor Davis could be one of those guys that gets moved. I'm not saying that's likely. I'm not saying I've seen anything that suggests that's a possibility. Other than the fact that it is, I guess, technically a possibility. Like If you're going to try to reduce your roster down, that's one of the ways that you can do it. And that would clear up the logjam the Packers have on uh, at wide receiver. One last thing about wide receivers before we move on. The St. Brown injury is unfortunate for a couple reasons. First, because I I still thought he was a promising young guy. Aaron Rodgers was a big fan. Big, fast, smooth, always seemed to be in the right right spot. Uh, probably wasn't going to be a super big contributor this year, but I liked how he came on last year, and he's a good fifth, sixth wide receiver to have around. He also did some good things on special teams. So that's that's a guy you want to – that's the type of guy that you want to keep around. The problem here now is when they try to get him to injured reserve, because this, for all the world, looks like an injury that is going to result in an injured reserve stay for St. Brown. If they put him on injured reserve before the cutdown deadline, the Sunday after the final preseason game, that's it. He's done for the year. He can't come back. To get him back at some point this year, they have to carry him to the active roster, the 53-man roster, then put him on injured reserve, then you can bring him back. That complicates 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 your cutdown process significantly. And I just looking at the construction of the Packers roster would be surprised if they tried to go that route. I think they're probably just going to to put him on injured reserve in the relatively near future and uh, say, well, we'll try again next year. Sorry, that's just how it works out. And given how bad that injury looked, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there wasn't much chance he could come back this year anyway. Let's move on and talk about inside linebackers. This is the third and final of the three position groups that we've been talking about a lot this preseason, and uh, and for good reason. Uh, the Packers need a running mate for Blake Martinez, and because of injuries, things have gotten a little bit weird in trying to figure out who that guy is. Oren Brooks was the first guy to get a shot, and he is hurt, and it's not really clear when he'll be back if at all. He's another sort of guy where they have to make that uh, that decision on if and when you put him on injured reserve, do you do it before cut down day and just say, hey, that's it for this year? Do you try to get him to the 53 and, and make your roster decisions that way and say after cut down deadline, uh, then we'll put you on the 50 or uh, on injured reserve and hope you can come back. Maybe his injury isn't that serious at all and he'll just be back by like week three or something like that. Then you've got Curtis Bolton. He looked like he was going to be the next man up, was doing well playing a lot on defense, playing a lot on special teams, but he too is now hurt walking around on crutches at the end of the uh, of the last game. So that's a problem. 
Now you've got Ty Summers, James Crawford, and Brady Sheldon uh, trying to figure things out behind Blake Martinez. Summers played all but one snap last night. He looks to me like he's in for sure. I didn't see any missed tackles from him. I'm not saying it's it, it's uh, it's impossible that it happened, but it looks like he cleaned up a lot of the issues that were were uh, problems for him the first two weeks. James Crawford, not so sure. He made the roster last year based on his special teams acumen, and he's playing a lot still there. But I think he leaves something to be desired um, on defense. He had a really crucial opportunity down near the goal line, which was the 10-yard line last night. Uh, Raiders back catches a pass in the left flat, and Crawford has him one-on-one about five, six yards out from the goal line. Just absolutely blows the tackle, and that's a really bad look if you're trying to make a team. Then Brady Sheldon, I think he's on the outs um, in this group. I don't think you'd feel super comfortable with him as your your top backup behind your backup, I guess. You're, you're looking at him as the third of the three that you're keeping here between Martinez and, and your combination between Summers Crawford and, and then Sheldon. I just don't think he's the guy there. So where does that leave you? I think you need three linebackers for opening day. However long after that it takes to get Burks or Bolton or both back will affect some parts of this plan. But I think your first option is just hoping that either Bolton or Burks is healthy. It seems like a big if at this point. Both their injuries look like multiple week recovery times, multiple, multiple weeks, probably looking at a month at least. So that puts us like week three, four for sure. So you need somebody. So do you sign somebody? I hear the name Mason Foster come up a lot. Somebody asked me about it. In fact, this morning, I think that's an option. It makes sense, uh, especially considering that he was not cut for any like short-term performance-related reasons. Started all 16 games for Washington last year, two interceptions, a sack. It seems like that Antonio Morrison-type role at this time, this point in his career. You're not calling on him to to make a lot of plays. You're just having him out there so he doesn't screw things up for you. And really not screwing it up for you is what you're asking for in your second linebacker in this defensive scheme. You just want to be the guy who's not resulting in big plays for the opposing team. Foster, uh, got cut on his way to camp, almost a Mike Daniels type cut. Uh, the Pro Football Talk has this quote from him: "Quote, it was kind of surprising, but at the end of the day, you know, it's a business and stuff happens. But stu- the timing of it was kind of a little crazy because, you know, I was telling everybody I was packing my bags, I was leaving to go to the airport for training camp when I got the call." He told Sirius XM Radio. Uh, so the quote via Pro Football Talk, but the actual quote from Sirius XM. So Foster could be an option there. Otherwise, you're looking throughout the waiver wire as we get towards uh, the end of training camp here and teams start cutting down and you actually have cut down weekend as well. Um, That could be an option. You could also just fill that role with a safety. Fill it with speed. Um, You've got Raven Green who does that sort of thing from time to time. You've got Ibrahim Campbell, though I don't know how close he is to a full-on return. Those are some options there. Josh Jones would be the guy that you probably want to fill that role, but who knows if or when he's ever coming back, uh, if at all. I still think he's he's on his way out of town, and there's really no other evidence or no evidence to, to think otherwise at this point. But who knows? Uh, but that is an option here, and the Packers could just choose to ride it out and use that roster spot on somebody else. So you'd go into the, into the regular season right now probably with Martinez, Summers, and Crawford, and then just say, hey, we'll feel it out from there. We'll see if and when Bolton or Burks comes back. And uh, just try to not have things get too bad for us uh, near them in the middle of the defense. And I think 
you know, chances are this guy isn't going to be playing a whole lot anyway, but you could use a little bit of help at the spot. What else did we learn from this game? Well, I want to talk about a couple couple things. Um, Rashawn Gary's snaps on defense and Randy Ramsey. Um, other than that, there was not a lot to take away from this game. Went back through it uh, a little bit this morning, looked at the stats a little bit. There's just not a whole lot out there. Uh, but I did get a good question from a listener uh, this morning. Well, actually, it was late last night, um, actually during the game. Uh, Andrew tweets in, uh, why do you think Gary is getting a ton of reps and Darnell Savage isn't? So just uh, just to ballpark it a little bit for you here or put some some context to it, uh, Rashawn Gary had played quite a bit through the, the first two preseason games. He had played 50, 66 snaps through, through games one and two and had played 25 last night before he got hurt. He is in the top 12 still in total snaps on defense. But Darnell Savage has, well, played a lot less. He's only played 31 snaps so far. Didn't play at all last night. Played nine week one, 22 in week two. Uh, basically just feeling it out, playing with the starters. So I think Savage isn't playing a lot because he's going to be a starter. He, he, Even though he is a rookie, he's going to be counted on for a big role this year. But the reason I think Gary isn't playing a whole lot so far is uh, I, th- I think it all comes down to kind of figuring out what he is in the NFL. The Packers took him believing he could be a contributor early on, but without a super defined role for him. They have him as a linebacker, an edge an, an edge rusher, but you know, more of a stand-up type edge rusher than a hand on the ground edge rusher. He could be that traditional defensive end type player, but he isn't right now, at least as, as the Packers are thinking of him. I think part of the reason they're playing him so much or had been until he got hurt last night is because he needs to figure out exactly what he is at the NFL level, and that's going to take time in-game situations. Um, They're going to rush him from all over the place. They're going to use him um, as an inside rusher. They're going to use him as a stand-up rusher. Um, It's going to take some time to figure out exactly what they want to do with him and how that's going to actually play out on the field, and he needs to be on the field to figure that out. That is why I think he is playing so much. What I can't figure out is why Randy Ramsey, another edge prospect player, is playing so much as well. He is fifth on the team in total defensive snap counts or total defensive snaps through three games. He's played 109. For comparison, uh, the leader is Ty Summers with 184, and he's just playing just about every single snap on defense. I had 66 in week one and 77 last night. Uh, Ramsey is right up there as well. And I can't figure out if he's a guy that they really like and are trying to get a long look at or if they just need somebody to soak up reps. Uh, I'm leaning more towards the second one than the first, but you never know. He's getting a lot more snaps than than guys who are, are figuring to be uh, kind of in a similar position. I mean, Reggie Gilbert has uh, fewer than half as many snaps there. Um, Kyler Fackrell has fewer snaps. Other than that, there, there really aren't any other guys that are getting significant burn out outside linebacker. It's been him and Rashawn Gary with that second unit with, uh, with Kyler Fackrell rotating in there as well. What does this mean? Is he their fifth guy? He still probably presumably would have to jump over Reggie Gilbert, but Gilbert didn't play last night either. So what does that really mean? I'm not sure. He's probably a guy they like. I will say that. They're not playing him uh, just exclusively to soak up snaps. They, they liked him enough to bring him in as an undrafted free agent, and now here he is playing a lot of snaps for the Packers. But exactly what it means going forward, I'm not sure. But 
we're going to get a much better idea what it needs or what it means in the very near future. Uh, we've got one preseason game to go, and then it's cut down day, the Sunday following that. That is going to be an exciting, interesting weekend and a tough weekend for a lot of these guys, too. Next week, we're going to do a roster prediction. Uh, look for that middle of the week. A recap of the last preseason game and uh, some final thoughts before we head into cut down weekend. And uh, and then we'll probably have a reaction to the the roster after that. And then we're on to, on to Chicago already. It's coming up fast. Um, we're off and running. And as I pointed out uh, after the last preseason game, savor this stuff because even if they're just preseason games, even if they're a farce held in a, a college-side stadium played on high school-quality turf, you still only get so many of these games, and you got to appreciate every one of them for what they are. That's all I've got for you on this episode. I'll leave you with the same thing I said at the end of the last one. Uh, check out our T-shirts and sweatshirts. They are great. They're comfortable. They will make you look good as you head into this uh, this season of Packers football. Click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to find some of those. They do help support our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.